You are listening to The Soapbox, a show about all things speech and debate. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, and anchor.fm slash thesoapboxpod. Thank you for joining us today. We are glad you're here. When you were young, did you know exactly what you wanted to be? For career day in elementary school, each year I alternated between two different professions, meteorologist and cartographer. One year I would dress in a visor and carry around a map, you know, like cartographers do. And the next year I would write in my journal about my desire to be the man on the news who tells you what's going to happen with the weather. Needless to say, I didn't pursue either of those paths. And I assume most of us are like that. We have a dream as a kid, and those dreams shift as we age. Maybe we get more practical. Maybe our interests change. But every now and then, you find someone who turned out exactly how you expected them to. I remember fall of 2008. I sat in on an IEP meeting for Quinlan Cow. He was an incoming freshman to East Mountain High School. And part of your IEP, which is your individualized education plan, is to talk about your future, possible college and career goals. At this meeting, Quinlan expressed an interest in numbers, math, finance, but he also said that he had this passion for airplanes and for flying, so maybe he's wanted to be a pilot, or maybe something to do with math. Seemed pretty vague at the time, right? Flash forward 10 years. Quinlan is currently working in finance at Boeing in Seattle. I know, right? Welcome to the Soapbox. Quinlan is fairly legendary in the speech and debate world. National finalist in extemp commentary, triple state champion in original oratory, international extemporaneous speaking, and public forum debate. One year, the top title in three different events. And in 2012, he was named the National Student of the Year. This award, it's important because every district across the country nominates their district student of the year. You were supposed to put forward the student in your district who best embodies the tenets of humility, service, respect, leadership, and integrity. Quinlan was hands down the New Mexico nominee in 2012 and became a finalist at the Indianapolis National Tournament. After a series of interviews at the award ceremony in front of thousands of people, Quinlan was named the National Student of the Year. That moment, which is definitely going down as one of the highlights of my life, is probably also one of the highlights of his. But there's so much more to this incredible former speech and debater, Quinlan Cow. Thanks for joining us, Quinlan. Thanks. I'm glad to be here on the show. Is, is a podcast a show? I don't know if it's called a show or mm. just a podcast, but happy to be here. Yes, you are happy <laughs> to be here on our podcast show. You are visiting all the way from Seattle. That's correct. How, tell us, what's Seattle like these days? Uh, well, the weather in Seattle, is uh, it, it fits the stereotype. Uh, these days, uh, it's, it's always cloudy and rainy, and it does take a while to get used to. But overall, I, I love living in Seattle. I work for Boeing right now. I'm kind of an airplane geek and um, always been passionate about aviation. So it's a good fit for me in my career right now. 
Well, let's and, talk about that a bit yeah. more. So Boeing. So everyone knows Boeing. They make planes, I guess, sure. right? Is that so? What are you doing? Are you actually building planes? What is your role at Boeing? Yeah. So I get that question a lot. You know, am I actually uh, a mechanic on the on the assembly line, or am I an engineer? Actually, I'm neither. So I work in a finance group at Boeing. But I always uh, caveat that by saying that I think it's the most fun that you could possibly have working in finance at Boeing because um, I'm in a group that uh, basically analyzes uh, potential new airplane designs. Um, and we estimate how much uh, we think that would cost the company in terms of initial investment um, and then the recurring cost to build each airplane over time. And um, it, it's actually a great way for me to apply um, some finance concepts that I learned in school. Uh, so I feel really fortunate because I, I know not everyone can say that they apply what uh, they learned in college to their, their everyday job, and, and I'm able to do that. That's pretty cool. So you're the one who's like... A- the project's coming down the line and you have to make sure you, the company can afford it and like where they're going to get the money from. Is that part of it as well? Yeah, exactly okay. right. Okay. In industry, they might call it like cost engineering. Um, I would never refer to myself as an engineer because I'm not, but uh, we definitely uh, have to understand the, the technical requirements of the airplane um, and what the factory would look like, the factory that we need to have in order to build that airplane, um, and then estimate how much it's going to, to cost uh, to pay all the employees and acquire all the material and the, the machinery and the tooling uh, to build that airplane. That's pretty cool. So it seems like you ended up doing something that was very much, like this has been in your wheelhouse, what you've been thinking about for years, right? Like right. I remember sitting in one of your like first IEP meetings and you're talking about, look, I like math. I like maybe finance, but I also like airplanes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you had a great idea of what that would mean for a career. Yeah. Right? I, I had no idea what that would mean uh, until I, I got an internship with Boeing. Um, and then I was able to kind of build my network and, and discover what, what you're able to do with a finance degree in, in various parts of the company. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really kind of the, my foot in the door was when I got my internship with Boeing uh, when I was in college uh, and then I turned that into a, a full-time position. Sweet. And college was the Ohio State University. The Ohio State University. You that's right. You cannot leave off the the, <laughs> right? Right. Why? <laughs> Do you uh, know why? You know, I, there is a history of, of why. Um, I think it's just because uh, without emphasizing the Ohio State, uh, people tend to just call it Ohio, which is a, a separate school uh, in in Ohio, okay. Ohio University. Uh, so, you know, it's just one of those silly things that we do to, <laughs> to differentiate ourselves. Um, it, I mean, I, it'd be sort of like calling uh, New Mexico State New Mexico, um, but just leaving off the state. Yeah. And it it just doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of you have this experience like you went from New Mexico to Ohio to Seattle, mm-hmm. right? And so, do you have a favorite place so far? You you appreciate the individuality of each of them? Yeah, I, I think uh, the latter is that I there are pl- there are things that I love um, about each of the places that I've lived. Um, I've been really fortunate uh, to be able to to say that I, you know, I have. I have home, school, and work in three different locations. And you can look at a map and draw a triangle between all three locations. And it covers a lot of distance and uh, a lot of experiences. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always think of New Mexico as home. Um, Ohio's kind of my second home. And uh, right now, uh, Washington is my, well, my home for the time being. Sure. And we'll see where, where my career takes me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, when we usually think about like speech and debaters. We usually Mm -hmm. think about politicians, lawyers, careers like that. But you kind of show us that there are really speech and debate can be for any career. Um, Can you kind of talk to us about that, about 
speech and debate, those experiences you had and how it shaped where you are now and how it's still playing a role sure. in your life. Yeah. So, I mean, once upon a time, I, I did think I wanted to go into law and politics. And over time, my interests kind of shifted. And I realized, I think, aviation was my foremost passion. But, you know, going back to when I first joined the, the speech and debate team at, at East Mountain, somehow I, I had the, I guess, the foresight to know that um, speech and debate would be useful for me in my career someday. Um, and I, I think that's that's really been the case for me. I, like all the success that I've experienced in my career, um, I know has been in part um, due to speech and debate. So, you know, from being able to to sit down for an interview with a future employer, um, that has been made easier because of speech and debate. Um, I, you know, for the national tournament, I had to do a, a pretty um, stressful interview uh, for National Student of the Year. So, I mean, that that's obviously great practice, and it's just one example of how, how speech and debate can prepare a student um, for, for any career. Um, I know in my, my everyday work, I apply a lot of the skills that I, I learned and developed in speech and debate. Obviously, you know, analytical skills, being able to look at a lot of complex information and distilling it down to what is actually crucial for the audience to, to know. And I, and I have to do that a lot in my role. It's mostly looking at numbers, but being able to to uh, create a story out of what the numbers are telling me um, and then tell my audience, which is usually uh, my manager or my manager's manager and sometimes some executives, uh, what what it actually all means to them and what it means for the company. Uh, and I think that practice of being able to take a lot of complex information and really boil it down to what is really important for the judge to hear or for your audience to hear, obviously that's something that, that I took away from speech and debate. And and overall, just the, the confidence to, to speak up, to make my voice heard. Uh, I, I've always been kind of a, a quiet, introverted guy, and, and I don't think that's changed at all. But what has changed is I think before speech and debate, I would have just kind of sat in my shell, uh, whether I agreed or disagreed or had a question about a topic or, you know, something that somebody was talking about. But now I know that, you know, if I, if I do agree or disagree or, or have a view that I want to share about a certain topic, uh, I think speech and debate gave me the, the confidence and the vocabulary to, to be able to do that. Right. So that's cool. Would you, have you found like other people who work in your field, like finance, do they not have the same communication abilities as someone like you or with this background? What I've noticed is that the people who, who do well, um, uh, in terms of communication, they've had to work a lot at it. Um, and they, they are still having to work at it. Um, and I think the advantage that speech and debate gave me was, um, knowing that I had the skill set and the confidence and I've had years of practice doing it, and so you know I don't, I don't feel as much pressure right now to to do Toastmasters or something, right. um, where I, I think it's a good opportunity to practice those skills, but it's just not the same amount of practice that that I got from speech and debate. You know, I, something that you may or may not remember, but uh, you always told us that when you go into a competition round, you need to have the mentality that you you own the room, and that um, whether whether or not you're actually the most knowledgeable person in the room, sometimes it, it's more about um, you know how you sound and how you project yourself. Um, and so I think that that goes back to the confidence that speech and de- debate gave me to go into a meeting or a presentation and know that I can own the room. And there's a reason that you know I'm I'm the one being asked to to stand up and and do the presentation. Right. Yeah, I think so. Owning the room—that's a mantra we definitely still keep around. But also, Good. there's a new one I kind of add to it as well: mm-hmm. is show your judge a party. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. so I'm always telling my students right before they go into round, 
go make sure your judge has a good time, right? Because no matter what presentation, like if you're a judge or if you're in a work setting, if you're going to sit through a presentation, you're, you're pretty much setting yourself up to like, you're expecting me to be bored, right? Right. Pretty much all the time. And so if you're the one who goes into the room looking to have a good time and looking to just like lighten up the room a little bit, you're probably going to take the one or be the, be the most memorable presentation. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, thinking back to when I did extemp, you, you always had to have some kind of attention getter for, for the speech so that the judge was immediately interested in, in what you had to say. Um, and, to this day, I, I try and insert humor into all of my presentations, even when we're just looking at, you know, dollar signs and, and PowerPoint charts. Uh, I, I kind of think there, there's humor to be found in everything. Sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch to right. uh, to get the joke to match the uh, to match the, the task or the situation at hand, uh, but it, it always kind of takes people by surprise, and I think definitely helps set the room at ease, creating that that party atmosphere. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. But first, you mentioned extemp, and so for mm-hmm. our listeners who don't know what extemp is, this is extemporaneous speaking. It falls into two categories, international or domestic. And so if you're an international, you're going to get questions in an envelope, and you're going to pull three questions out, and it's going to ask questions related to international policy. And you're going to take those three, but you're going to put two of them back, and you choose one. Then you have 30 minutes to write the speech, then seven minutes to deliver the speech. And so... Students who compete in extemporaneous get really good about coming up with anecdotes that are related to international affairs, politics, that sort of thing, right? And that was one of your specialty events. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always taught, like, best way to get a hold of your audience is to probably start with a joke, some sort of pop culture phenomenon. So when you did international extemp, do you remember some of those, like, those anecdotes or those personality attention getters that we'd start with? Um, I, you know, I always think I, I relied heavily on pop culture. So right. uh, TV shows and songs, I think were my, my favorite things to reference. I don't really have any, any go-tos that I, I used uh, frequently. And I suppose that's kind of a good thing. That is a good thing. Uh, it means I wasn't canning all of my speeches, right. but definitely pop culture. Uh, I never thought I was really witty enough to come up with uh, <laughs> original jokes on my own. So uh, I think, you know, having a, having a kind of taste for pop culture something that the judge could relate to as well um, that always worked in my advantage yeah do you ever do any of those now in presentations ever whip out an ariana grande reference in a oh, yeah. finance presentation oh yeah absolutely oh, yeah. okay yeah. good <laughs> pop songs or, or movies definitely yeah nice nice <laughs> glad you're still keeping it up uh so you mentioned like you first got involved with speech and debate um, by maybe trying to stretch your skills. Take us back to that moment or like that series of events that led to you deciding to join speech and debate. Yeah. So uh, thinking all the way back to, you know, coming out of eighth grade, going into high school, you know, prior to, to, to joining speech and debate, I had always played the violin and I had played baseball. And those were like my two primary activities. Once I got to high school, I, I was start, starting to get a little bit burned out on music, um, and I realized that physically I was never going to be the, the star second baseman that I always dreamed of being. Uh, so um, that meant that I, I kind of started to looking, looking elsewhere for uh, an extracurricular that I could be really passionate about um, and something that I could spend a lot of time uh, focusing on. Like I said earlier, I, I think somehow a small part of my brain realized that it'd be a, it'd be a good idea to to look at speech and debate as, as a way to improve my, my confidence and my public speaking abilities. Going through the, the course catalog at, at East Mountain, and I, I was kind of just following the, the recommend, recommended scheduling for first years, and uh, I, I think uh, 
it was recommended that we take an elective. So um, I was looking through the electives, and the one that really stood out was the speech and debate course that you taught. And I, I thought this was just a, a perfect way because it, it wouldn't you know, force me to, to go to a tournament in my first week of speech and debate experience. I could get some, some classroom work down and, and really do, just do some practice um, before actually getting out to a tournament. And so, yeah, I en- enrolled in your, your speech and debate course first semester of freshman year. Uh, I think as part of the course, it was um, required that we at least uh, attend one tournament. Uh, and so I fondly remember the the first tournament that I attended was uh, the novice tournament at Valley High School. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and which, which events did you do there? <laughs> I think I just did impromptu. Really? Yeah. Okay. So impromptu speaking yeah. where you walk into a room and you have... The topics are, they're not questions, and they're kind of all over the place. They could be pop culture, they could be politics, they could be objects. So you could pick like three topics out of an envelope, and one of them could be like a straw, one could be a rectangle, or it could be like a quote. It could be a famous quote by somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's like all over the place. Then you have seven minutes to write and deliver it. Um, So you could use two minutes preparing your speech and then like five minutes delivering or vice versa. So impromptu is a kind of a good one to get started in, but also a pretty intimidating one. So, Yeah, I definitely became better at time management and impromptu as my my speech and debate career progressed. I'm sure, you know, if I went back to that that first tournament, I probably spent, you know, three minutes (laughs) like trying to prepare point by point what my speech was going to be. And then, uh, you know, by the time I... You know, I reached senior year, I could probably cut my prep time down to a minute and a half, which which is a lot in impromptu. Right. Um, so, so yeah, definitely. Do you remember doing well? Do you remember being scared at your first tournament? What do you remember about that? Oh, there there were definitely nerves there, uh, but I I did well. I placed I placed third, and you know that's a that's a great confidence booster. Absolutely. Uh, placing placing at yeah, your first first tournament, even if it is a novice tournament. And so I enjoyed the experience. I really liked impromptu. It's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I walked away from that first term, tournament thinking, you know, I, I could do this. Um, this could be fun. It'll probably be more fun if I do more events. And, right. and certainly as my speech and debate career progressed, um, I did more events. Yeah. And I, I think maybe the next tournament you went to was maybe Manzano. It was Manzano. Yeah. yeah. And that was your first kind of uh, for like getting into the debate events, right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Jace Reynolds and I were were PF partners then, and um, we were still partners in, in senior year. But that was our first our first uh, tournament doing public forum together, and we actually did really well. I think we went three and one, right. if I remember correctly. So we won our, our first three rounds, and then uh, I'm sure we were power matched in the last round, uh, and we went against a, a a duo of of senior debaters, and they were really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say, yeah. Yeah, so public forum debate, uh, actually one of our newer forms of debate. So back in my day, there was no public forum debate, but I remember in 2002, this is the year public forum debate is created, and it actually wasn't called public forum debate. It was called Ted Turner debate in 2002, and I remember being at the national tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ted Turner is getting honored, and he kind of staggers out on stage. Might have had a couple to drink, couldn't really tell, (laughs) but he was a little, spoke a little funky, and... Basically said, I'm going to give some millions of dollars to the National Forensic League, and you're going to name a debate after me. <laughs> and we did. And so I still have some of those ballots where it says Ted Turner debate at the top. But the idea of the, creating this event, though, was that the other forms of debate were getting too jargon-based, too esoteric. They weren't really 
accessible by the masses. So that's your Lincoln-Douglas debate, your policy debate. They were going way too fast. So Ted Turner debate was supposed to be modeled off of Crossfire, which was on a popular show on CNN at the time, where you just bring in people and they're more communicating for the lay person, for the masses. And that's what public forum debate was supposed to be. Inevitably, like it started like that, but then eventually, of course, it became more like the other debate events where it goes pretty fast and starts to adopt its own jargon. But one cool thing about public forum debate is that the topic changes every month. And so you get to have to really know kind of what's going on in the headlines. Uh, Do you remember any of your debate topics from back in the day in Puffland public forum? Oh, gosh, there were were so many. Um, I don't remember verbatim uh, any particular topic. I I can tell you that my favorites were always um, the ones with a a foreign policy impact um, or something related to United States policy abroad. I think that's in part because of my uh, experience with international extemp. So being able to relate public forum with the international topics, I think, I think we're always my favorites. I think, and when you went to nationals in public forum, I think it was something related to gun control. Yeah. Is so right? my my senior year was about um, stand your ground laws. Oh, stand your ground laws. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that was a bigger deal then because that was being debated a lot in Florida because of like the Zimmerman stuff, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so public forum, those topics, they try to kind of rip them more from the headlines and like what's going on at the time. Whereas in your Lincoln-Douglas debate, they're a little more like timeless because they're about philosophy and values and morals. Do you ever regret not trying the other debate events or did you think public forum was like the one? Uh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to be so bold as to say that public forum is is the debate, but um, it was definitely my favorite, yeah. uh, my personal favorite. Yeah. You know, maybe in the back of my mind, I had thought, you know, I could I could maybe experiment with policy or something, and right. I think maybe Jace and I had tossed that idea back and forth, um, but I think we quickly buried that idea just because you know we we invested uh, our first couple years in doing public forum. Uh, and I think by the time we hit junior year, we, we kind of felt like, well, we spent so much time doing public forum. Now we can switch to another event and be new at it, or we can continue to, to become better at public forum. Yeah. That was, that was my mindset. That's a good point, because finding someone to be your debate partner for all four years is really rare, and that's hard to do, because mm-hmm. um, the commitment of being at speech and debate is so massive, right? You're giving right. up all your weekends, and so you're going to find someone who's willing to commit all of their weekends to the same activity as you. So that's pretty cool. I wonder what Jace is up to now. Where is that guy? Right? <laughs> I've heard rumors he's uh, he's up in St. Paul. <laughs> that's that's the latest rumor. Um, so we've talked about extemporaneous speaking. Sure. Talked about original oratory. No, we, we haven't talked about po- original oratory. That's what I wanted to get to because yeah. those were kind of your main events, right? Mm-hmm. So tell what is original oratory? What is this event about? So in a nutshell, original oratory is a ten-minute persuasive speech. And that's that's basically it in terms of the the high level guideline as to what original oratory is. And you know, in that ten minutes, it's really up to the student to to use that time as they see fit. I, I do remember what my original oratory topics were about. So unlike debate or uh, extemp, uh, in original oratory, you you do the same speech for all of your rounds at a tournament. And you know, from that point on, assuming it's a good speech, it's likely that you're going to use that speech at every tournament throughout the year with some some tweaks as you go along. I did original oratory starting in my junior year as part of my drive to continue to do more events. And my my speech that year was about how uh, in various aspects of society, we've kind of settled for mediocrity, which sounds really harsh, but then I (laughs) kind of provided some examples um, about school systems and 
pop culture and how you know sometimes we're we've settled for reality tv shows that maybe aren't quite as artistic as as other shows that we could uh, be striving for in pop culture Mm -hmm. um so it it was really like very specific examples and i i think i also talked about you know politics and how that that's always been kind of something that frustrates a lot of people with the stagnation and inability to to be productive um, which to me was an example of just mediocrity of, of, of a system not functioning the way that it, it could and should. Yeah, my speech was about um, overcoming that and kind of striving for for the highest vision, the highest um, ideal of what, what we can be with ourselves and with our society. Um, so it was kind of a, a lofty, ambitious kind of speech. Right. And so that's what I did my, my junior year. And so senior year, I came back with another speech and I I had a lot of success junior year with a, a topic that was, you know, obviously very optimistic and very idealistic. Right. Um, and so I kind of wanted to come back to that theme to make sure that the, you know, the judge walks away from the round kind of feeling feeling optimistic, feeling good about themselves or and society. And so um, my, my speech my senior year was about living in the present, you know, in doing so, maybe not so much regretting what we've done in our past or worrying or uh, being anxious about what's going to happen in the future, but just living in the present moment. And so, you know, both years, junior and senior year, very optimistic and some would say cliche topics, but I I think they're they're important things that we should keep in mind. And I had a lot of success with those speeches. Yeah. And that's the thing about original oratory is that most of the topics you hear about sound pretty cliche. Like mm-hmm. even to this day, it's the same sort of like topics you hear about tolerance or being nice and kind, but it's all about the individual spin you give on it. So you can take a pretty cliche topic and make it something incredible and make it unique to you. And that's what you're trying to do in that event. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the the national finalists in original oratory, obviously very good speeches, um, excellent speakers. Yeah, but when you look at the topic, it's like, well, I, I wouldn't debate you on your topic. I'm not going to go and say, hey, you're wrong about this right. um, because it, it's something that everyone can get on board with. But I think the really successful oratory speakers um, have a personal spin that they can put on it. Um, they can go up on a stage and, and make themselves vulnerable and say, uh, hey, this is a lesson that maybe I've learned the hard way in my life. And this is why I feel it, it's really important to share that message with with the audience today. Yeah, and that's what's cool about oratory. They don't see in any other event, I think, which is a blend of personal stories, personal anecdotes with evidence, scientific journals, academic evidence, and like what's going on currently in the world. It's mm-hmm. a really interesting blend that you don't see in any other event. And so that's why oratory is definitely one of my favorites, I think. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, when you look at debate or extemp, the power of those events is that um, you're expected to kind of put aside your personal bias and, and just look at the what the evidence is, is telling you. But with original oratory, as you said, um, it is more acceptable and generally expected that a successful oratory would have that personal spin. Right, right. So you were a triple state champion, and we'll talk about all that in my intro, <laughs> and you were National Student of the Year. That's all pretty cool. So you obviously had some success, but tell me, can you think of moments when you had the opposite of success, or you felt crushed or demoralized, or like what was like one of your biggest defeats in speech and debate land? Are you thinking like emotionally defeated or like <laughs> actually lost around? Well, defeated? I know every weekend was emotionally <laughs> draining and defeating, but uh, just something that I, sticks out to you is like a obstacle you had to overcome in speech and debate. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can think of examples in, in all of the events that I did. So I, I'm not sure, but the, the fir- not sure why, but the first one that comes to mind, uh, I I did impromptu at a at a, one of the local tournaments, and uh, uh, when I got back the ballot, 
Uh, I got a fourth place ranking, which I, I think at the time was like the lowest that you could have on a ballot, right. um, at least in New Mexico. And the judge had, had gone out of their way to take some tape from the teacher's desk um, that was in that classroom where we were competing. Uh, and they had taped the impromptu topic to the bottom of the ballot. And then they, they wrote in like red, bold red pen, go home and practice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, uh, so that, you know, that was kind of a, a setback and an impromptu of, of all events. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it, it didn't feel great at the time. Um, so I, I think I kind of resolved from that moment on that I was going to take impromptu seriously. I was going to go home and practice per that judge's <laughs> advice. Right. Um, I, I know, I do remember I came back to the tournament the next year and that same tournament and won impromptu nice. um, so that that felt good but I you know I mean thinking in about debate in public forum going back to that first tournament at Manzano um, against the two the two seniors and, and that last round mm. for somehow Jason and I had uh, managed to win three rounds not really having contentions in our case <laughs> um, so, so I think we had we had key points um, yeah. but they weren't clearly Outline, so it would have been impossible to to flow our case, yeah. um, and I, I remember um, in the rebuttal, the our opponents, uh, he stood up and he said, "Well, our opponents uh, don't really have contentions or really any key points in their case, so I'm just going to try and do as best as I can oh, to attack geez. it." Um, and and he didn't say it in in like a really mean way, uh, but it was true. We didn't have contentions, um, and uh, so obviously we we fixed that before the next tournament. But I think the the takeaway for me uh, moving forward was, especially once I got to my senior year and I'd been doing public forum for a few years, um, we did go up against um, students who were brand new to public forum um, because there's there's no novice and, and varsity division in public forum. Right. And we definitely faced students who and opponents who, who did not have contentions in their case. So it was, it was really hard to, to flow the debate. Um, and I, I, I think it made it easier for me to empathize as the person who had to go up and, and deliver the rebuttal. You know, just try not to crush them and, and criticize their their ability to do speech and debate. Right. But you know, just just pick out the key points and and crystallize those and make sure that you can deliver a good rebuttal against them. Um, so I, that was definitely the takeaway um, going from one side of the table to the other. To you know, being the new the new team on the public forum circuit, um, and then eventually being more experienced and and trying to make the best of of facing facing uh, newer and less experienced teams teams. Yeah, and when you mention so contentions, that's yeah. just our fancy word in debate for argument. It's how we label and number our arguments, and we do so in a very kind of structured way. Structured way, and so um, when you write a debate case, your opening speech needs to be have probably three or four contentions, and you label it as such, mm -hmm. and that makes it easier to flow and to keep track throughout the debate. To say my opponent's contention one was this. Here's how we respond to that, um, and so a lot of first-time debaters just don't know that general framework and introduction to debate and so in a lot of times you just don't understand it till you get thrown in mm -hmm. to a tournament and that was definitely my first experience ever was debating someone and i had no idea how to flow or keep track but that team or it was that one debater who stayed with me after and said here's what you need to do for next time and so i always found that the debate community was very helpful that way mm -hmm. and tried to help each other is that was that your experience too trying to like help like spirit of camaraderie from other teams and yeah i mean i can't say that you know, we had a, a post debate review after every round at every right, tournament right. especially at the uh at the more competitive tournaments later in the year yes um but i i think i think there's definitely a lot of camaraderie especially in new mexico um we're we're a big state geographically but a, a small state in terms of speech and debate like it's a it's a small community everyone knows each other um and so i think it, it makes it easier to to collaborate um 
And I think from a debate perspective, I, you know, Jason, I would always kind of compare um, our cases with those of our opponents, really talk about like what points worked, well, what arguments worked out well, and maybe which ones didn't. Um, and d- definitely that type of camaraderie happened within the team. Um, but I think it was right. especially powerful when debate triggered those discussions outside of the round, you know, before or after the round had ended. And so we've talked about times where you've you received that ballot and said, go home and practice. That's yeah. pretty crushing. But uh, on the flip side, do you have a favorite memory? Anything that stands out from speech and debate world? Uh, that That's an easy answer for me. Um, yeah. If I could have a time machine and go back to, to one moment in my speech and debate experience, it was definitely uh, in junior year, Hobbs, New Mexico. Uh, we won the overall sweepstakes for state um, by a single sweeps point. Yeah. It, I mean, it was just, it was a really powerful experience and, and something that I, that I still remember to this day. And I, I think what was especially powerful is because we had worked, I think, a, a long time for, the, for that goal. And it may have seemed far-fetched, but somehow you instilled within us uh, the, the, the belief that, that we could be the overall state champions. Um, and I, I think the momentum started after we had won first place. And I, I think it was like the Cave Classic in, in January at La Cueva. Um, I think we won that tournament. And that kind of gave us some momentum that we took into state. And so I remember, uh, I mean, you could probably recap this better than I could, but <laughs> Eric was going into the, the final round of, I think he was in novice LD no, at the it time. Was varsity. Oh, it was varsity. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. He, so he was going into the final round of varsity LD against uh, John Garrity from St. Pius. Yep. And uh, I think he won a two-one decision or something yep. like that, yep. um, and that gave East Mountain the overall the overall championship by by a single point. Yeah, and so to unpack that a little more in speech and debate land, when you do a sweepstakes award, you're tallying up all the individual results, and so we have a dozen different events you're competing in, and so to win an overall team championship, you have to have the most points and the most amount of events across the board. So this was 2011, and. Albuquerque Academy had won the award 24 years in a row prior to that. So it was pretty inevitable that they're going to win again. However, as you're kind of alluding to, we started to have a pretty good year that year and the year prior. But that year was special. And it was probably 8 o'clock at night in Hobbs, New Mexico. Hobbs, which is six-hour drive from Albuquerque and everywhere else in the state. (laughs) Um, So really far. And we actually knew, because a lot of the results had already come in, we knew we were one point away from winning the overall state championship. But it came down to this one event in Varsity Lincoln Douglas. And I remember it was Varsity because they were both sophomores at the time, Eric and John. Mm -hmm. And they're going into Varsity Lincoln Douglas debate. And if Eric won, we would come in second place. If Eric didn't win, or if if Eric didn't win, we would have come in second. If Eric won, we would come in first. And so we were waiting for those ballots to come in. There's three judges who were judging the final round. First ballot comes in. Eric drops it. He doesn't win. He loses that one. But then the next two ballots come in, and those two judges voted for Eric, and that translated into our overall state championship victory. And it was pretty pretty incredible because um, mm-hmm. at the moment it seemed like it was a the efforts of one person. All of us were behind Eric. But right. really, even to get to that point, we had to do so well in so many other events going into the state championship. So that was a pretty incredible time. And I remember mm-hmm. the bus ride home was pretty amazing everyone's crying and just it was it was pretty emotional <laughs> yeah I, I remember uh you know before we had left for the tournament we left on the bus at four in the morning from east mountain and yeah. mr wine came to the school and um, made sure that he saw us off before we left for the tournament um, and he said that 
He wanted to see us off before we came back as state champions. Yeah. So when your when your coach believes in you and your principal is standing behind you and and expects you to come home with that state championship, it's it's really motivating, uh, yeah. really inspiring. You know, I, I always thought that it was like our our Disney story. Yeah. Um, being able to win the state championship by a point. They haven't made a movie out of a movie for <laughs> us yet, but they should. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Another moment that obviously stands out to me with your career is Indianapolis 2012. Mm-hmm. Were there any memories that stand out for that when you were interviewing for National Student of the Year and when you were named a Student of the Year? Yeah, so uh, so National Student of the Year uh, is an award and um, that's given to to one sen- one graduating senior by the National Speech and Debate Association. Um, and the pool of candidates is the the students of the year from each uh, district within the the National Speech and Debate Association. So I, I don't know off the top of my head how many districts there are, um, but about 113, I think. Okay, um, so you have a, roughly 113 um, candidates for the award, um, and then the the selection committee from the, the National Speech and Debate Association narrows it down to um, six finalists. And then at the national tournament, each of those six finalists does an interview um, with the selection committee. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a panel interview. Um, and I remember going into the interview, you know, I, I didn't really feel that intimidated. We had, we had done some practice before we had left for the tournament. Um, I felt comfortable with, with my story and what, what I had to say about speech and debate. But then I started to feel a little bit more nervous when I went into the interview room, which is a you know big hotel ballroom, and the the interview panel is seated at like one long table on one side of the room, and then there's just like a single ballroom chair sitting in the middle of the room, and so that was that was my hot seat for the interview. So yeah, in the in the couple minutes uh, leading up to them a- asking me questions, I was feeling some nerves definitely. You know, I, I think I had met a couple of the other finalists for the award obviously super qualified, super passionate about speech and debate. And uh, I think in that moment, it was, it was a feeling of like, all right, how, how did I end up here? I think, I think my nomination must have slipped into the wrong pile. <laughs> but once they started asking me questions about, about my speech and debate story and what I liked about speech and debate and what I thought, you know, maybe the, the association could do better, then I started to feel comfortable. Um, and I, that's always been the case for me with speech and debate tournaments. You know, I, I'd be lying if I said that I never felt nervous because I, I definitely did. Um, but once I opened my mouth and started talking and telling the speech and debate story that I've experienced, the, the nerves kind of melted away a little bit. And obviously that was a valuable interview experience. And, you know, that, so that happened um, on registration day at the national tournament, which I think is Sunday. Um, and then you go off and you do your, your actual competition at the tournament. Uh, and then the student of the year award is announced at the award ceremony at the end of the week. Um, so, you know, I, I go up on stage, uh, just being up on the, the stage is an incredible feeling. Uh, you know, there's just a sea of people out there and thousands of people and, yeah. um, but the, the, the lights are, are so bright that you can't really see them. Um, or at least that was my experience. And so, you know, I go, go up on the stage with the other finalists. Um, I, they played a, a short video talking about the award and, and then, uh, Mr. Sheaf, he announced my name. Uh, he actually pronounced my name, right. Which yeah. was really exciting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, time kind of stood still for a minute and yeah. I was like, I, this can't be, this can't be right. I <laughs> must've misheard, but yeah, it, it was definitely a really powerful experience. Yeah. And I remember all of, all of New Mexico was kind of sitting together in the audience, kind of rallying mm-hmm. behind you. And, when and I heard that. Could you hear us? I, I could hear New Mexico yeah. in the <laughs> audience. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was a really special time. And I think like you said, like any, you know, any of those finalists, but really any senior would be, mm-hmm. you know, is deserving. But I think what you did well and what you continue to do well 
is share that story pretty well. And I remember in your recommendation letter, how I wrote about, here's a student from his senior class who was voted most likely to become president, <laughs> but probably can't become president until we get a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Um, and because you weren't born in America. <laughs> Correct. Right. Um, but here's someone and whose speech and debate didn't come naturally. And this was not something that you just didn't have this gift for public speaking and you weren't always seeking attention or you weren't acting in plays in middle school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You tried it because it was hard. You tried it because it was something you, th- you saw the value in Yeah. and you stuck with it. And th- the way you kind of tell that story, I think is really powerful and moving to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you continue to do that. You're a good advocate for the activity and you continued it within college, right? And so you competed at some in college as well. Uh, yeah, I, I did do a uh, speech and debate my first two years in college. It, the competition was a lot more difficult. Yeah. It, I, I think it was a good, it was a good leadership experience for me. I, so I went to Ohio State, and uh, Ohio State has a thousand different student organizations, um, and I think a lot of uh, big public universities would, would say the same about the number of student uh, activities that they have on campus. And so we were, uh, we were mostly, mostly a student-run team, and we did have some, some coaches who volunteered their time, um, which we really appreciated. But at the end of the day, like the actual administration of the team was kind of up to the, the student leadership. Um, and you know, it, it was tough, definitely. Um, not just the, not just the competition. Competition was very good, um, but you know, managing the team and trying to, to compete at the same time. I I think my takeaway from that experience was that it's it's really impossible to to manage a team and compete for the team and expect to do both effectively. Right. Definitely challenging. That's that's the word I would use for it. Yeah. Um, and and as hard as this is to believe, I think there is there's less parity at the college level in yeah. speech and debate that there is than there is in high school. Obviously, at the high school level, there are big schools and there are small schools. But I I firmly believe that you know the small schools can become a big school like like East Mountain has done uh, over time. But at the college level, um, it, it's definitely tough to compete um, because you have teams that are professionally run. I mean, they have, they have dedicated coaches who are paid to coach the speech and debate team. Right. Um, and they have, you know, an army of, of students competing for the team, um, and You've funding gotta, behind them. Yeah. The financial resources, cause to compete in high school, you can go across the town to go compete in your local high school mm-hmm. to compete college. You've got to fly across the country or travel pretty far, right? To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I'd, I'd go to tournaments and I'd see um, the bigger schools showing up in their, their big coach buses and, you know, we had driven there on our own yeah. in the middle of the night just to, to be there on time for rounds in the morning. So challenging is, is the word that, that I would describe for it, um, but great for my um, for my development as, as kind of a leader, which um, I, I think speech and debate does a, as a gr- does a great job of doing, is, you know, turning people who maybe want to stay inside their shell into people who can who can speak up and who can be who can be forceful leaders when they need to be. Um, awesome. Yeah, that was my experience in college. Nice. And so you continue to try to be an advocate for the activity. We're going to have a national tournament here in Albuquerque in 2020. It's on my calendar. You are um, booked. You're going to be there. I will be there. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so that's something we're always looking for alumni who can come back and judge. You know, that's the biggest, probably the biggest burden all tournaments face is finding judges, finding adults who are willing mm-hmm. to come back and judge. And so it's especially helpful when you can find someone who was involved in the activity, knows the events really well, because those are the sort of judges the competitors want. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the times we get lay judges, judges who've never seen the activity before, and the students have to adapt their style to those judges. But the best students can can adapt mm-hmm. and know how to adapt to any style, right? So, yeah. 
any other fond memories of speech and debate you want to share or any other final takeaway from the activity? Final takeaway. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a lofty question to try and uh, summarize my speech Let's and debate experience. this now for yeah. the judges. Um, I, I mean, I think speech and debate um, has been the single most impactful thing that I've done in my life, just in terms of how it helped me get through high school, into college, and then into my career. Speech and debate was really like the launching point for all of all of the success that I've experienced since then. Kind of speaking from a more more personal level, um, coming into high school, I wasn't the most like outgoing social guy, and therefore made it a little bit more difficult to to um, form fast friendships. And but that's what speech and debate gave me, especially here at East Mountain, where it's it's a small school, but it's an even more close knit family within speech and debate team and i know we always kind of referred to the, the team as like a, a second family because we spent so much time with each other um practicing after school and on weekends and then competing on weekends together and so i i miss the people that i competed with in high school and um, i look forward to to all the reunions that we have for for east mountain just because it's a great chance to to reconnect with people who who made my high school experience so great in speech and debate and uh you know it's it's incredible to see like how successful people are um, later in their life and how much of that they attribute to their speech and debate experience. Absolutely. And you are definitely a testament to that. Quinlan, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Appreciate the time and, and the audience. And I mean, I, I feel like I could talk about speech and debate all afternoon. We'll bring um, you back sometime. <laughs> sounds good. Okay. A few notes on how to connect with us before wrapping up. First, Share your story on our Anchor account. Either download the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm slash thesoapboxpod and press record voice message. Anchor is this great new tool that's going to allow us to connect with people from anywhere and everywhere. Second, we want you to check out our Patreon account. Visit patreon.com slash thesoapboxpod to find out how you can support our mission of spreading these amazing stories and growing the activity of speech and debate. Finally, connect with us at all the socials, facebook.com slash thesoapboxpod. Also connect with us on Twitter. And I'm excited to connect with each and every one of you. This project is truly about something bigger than me or any one person. So please, please take the time to share your story. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to our journey as this show progresses.